Isn't he amazing? We're going to pray, just because that's how I like to start. Sorry. <laughs> we should have had a spiritual meaning, but no. <laughs> Holy Spirit, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for bringing the fullness of Christ to this place. And I ask right now, Father, that we would exalt You. And as we lift You higher, You will draw all of us, including myself, closer to You. And we thank You for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever? This isn't my message at all, but there's a truth in this you need to know. Do you ever feel like God's distant? If He... When we praise Him, when we lift Jesus higher, He draws all men, men and women, right, to Himself. So if I make an intentional effort to praise Him, even for something that happened a long time ago, I get closer than I was before I started praising Holy Spirit. I'm here today to share my testimony with you, and, 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 and I don't want you just to listen to a story. I really don't even care if you forget all the details, but I, I, I want you to literally, while, while you're hearing, to listen and ask God what He has for you. This is all about you guys today. And, and, and I, I know you know this because it's very familiar, but we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we love our life not as our own. That, that's the part. You see, I always thought I did pretty good at that until I realized that, well, you know, my testimony bears I must be living like that until I realized I still love my life. And then I realized it wasn't totally true in my life yet. But there's also a verse in Revelation 19.10 that has become life to the body of Christ in the last few years. But it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That literally means there's a spirit about this thing. There's a power. There's an authority that, that, can't, that, that is marked. But it's not about us just saying Jesus went to the cross. or he was. Uh, it, it's about what Jesus, when we share, when we testify, when we give testimony to what Jesus has done in our lives, wherever we give that at, and it doesn't have to be in a public forum, it can be in Walmart. Matter of fact, I think it even works better in Walmart. There then is a spirit, a spirit of prophecy for him to do it all over again. We change atmospheres with those things. When I was born 53 years ago, I was born weighing a pound and 14 ounces. I was born to a, my birth mom was a young lady that was too small to have children, although she did, but she was a very small young lady. And when I was born, no one thought I would live. They didn't think I would live. My family didn't think I would live. I wouldn't have thought I was going to live. I, sometimes people say, do you, are, do you have ill feelings? Because there's letters from my natural birth mom that I got a few years ago, and you can tell that my mom was not attached to me whatsoever because there wasn't supposed to be any life there. Do you under But somebody prayed. And because somebody prayed, I got to live. 
And I lived with a disease that is called cerebral palsy, but cerebral palsy is a word, I don't, it shouldn't even, I don't even know why they call it a disease, because truthfully, all it is is brain damage to the cerebellum before the age of two, and most of the time, it happens at birth. Does that make sense? And there's a lot of variance in degrees. And so when I was born, they didn't think I would live, and, and, and then when I lived, they didn't think I'd live very long. And all of my remembrance... Every summer I wasn't supposed to live till winter, and every winter I wasn't supposed to live till summer, and it just kept happening. But in the process of living, several things happen, and I'm going to tell you a story about my life that is almost like talking about a movie because it's not how I live my life because God is so good. But as I tell you this story, don't feel sorry for me. Uh, it didn't happen all at once. It, I'm, I'm telling you in a few minutes things that happened over a, a period of time. And, and God's grace is always there. And, and there's always blessing in it. Do you, under, do you understand what I'm saying? But, but as, as I got to live, as I started to live, there's several things that happened that set a pattern for my life. And the first thing that happened was a, was a blessing. My brother was born. And my brother is nine months and 13 days younger than I am. And he is my brother. But he was also premature. That's really obvious, right? He weighed two pounds and one ounce. But my brother was healthy. He can walk. He can talk. He runs and he plays and he drags me everywhere. And my brother and I were raised by our great-grandparents because our natural parents were killed in an accident before, before the time of our remembrance. So we were raised by our great-grandparents. We called our great-grandparents mom and dad, and we thought they were. Now, I know that that's a little different. Nobody was trying to hide from us that they weren't our natural parents, but I think they thought it would feel more cohesive if, they, if we called them mom and dad. So that's how that, that went. And, and I was really sick, and they were really old, and it just breeded oddity. It means it made us, we were that family that everybody knew where we lived. That's not a joke. And there was an older lady that came to our house every week, and she was my great-grandma's best friend. And this lady, all she would do on Thursdays is hold me. And she'd say things like, it's a miracle of God you're alive, or there's a reason why you're alive. just amazing and during the time of about five years old for some reason I started noticing the things that God was doing I don't know maybe everybody waits that long I don't know but you see I was never supposed to walk and they put equipment on me to get me ready they were going to institutionalize me but, and come home on weekends, but in that process they had to get me proper and they put equipment on me and I had equipment from my neck to the bottom of my feet, my right arm hooked to this high build-up walker and there's a leather strap on the back of my neck collar and that's how you pick me up and down. And I wasn't supposed to walk, but I did. And I knew it was God. Now that doesn't mean I knew God. I just knew that if it wasn't supposed to happen, God had to do something. Of course, I have this lady saying it's a miracle of God you're alive. And during this same season, I got to go to public school, which wasn't supposed to happen. And all I wanted to do was go where my brother went to school because, you know, I really like being home now, but you should have seen me then. You know, I, I didn't like to be away from my brother or my great-grandparents. I mean, that was just the way it was. 
And I wanted to not leave. You know, it, it petrified me to think about leaving. And so I got to go to school, and, I, and to begin with, I, I thought it was God, but then after being there for a little while, I started realizing all my differences. When they're teaching everybody else how to read and write, they're just trying to teach me how to talk. And I remember literally thinking, I, I can remember it at, at night and at school sitting there, and, and, and you know, one of the major processes, and the state of Missouri was amazing to me. They gave me an attendant, they, you know, they had somebody with me, I have no complaints. But I, I noticed all my differences, and I thought, God, it's supposed to be a miracle of God, I'm alive, but why? And during that same season in our lives, my brother and I figured out that our great-grandparents weren't our real parents. I don't know what took us so long, but we figured it out. And how we actually figured it out, I should say my brother figured it out, and I responded. Because what actually happened was he set my great-grandparents on one side of the kitchen table and we were on the other and he looked at my great-grandpa and he says, Dad, how come every other parent can drive after night and you guys can't? And all it meant was, why are you so old? But they told us a story. And what it meant to me was, it's a miracle of God you're alive, but why? But I'm telling you this intentionally because, you see, I believe as Christians, identity in who Christ has made us. It says, this blows my mind, but if you're alive, you're amazing. Because God said that He literally picked you before the foundation of time and we're literally seated with Christ when He created the earth, which just... So if you're alive... If you were born at all, if you were conceived at all, you're a treasure. Does that make sense? There isn't any... You're a treasure. Life might have done all kinds of things, but you're a treasure. And so, I went on this way until I was 11 years old, and it's not a joke. I daydreamed all the time. I talked with my brother, I talked with my great-grandma some, but speech was hard for me, and so I, people said, huh, all the time, and it wasn't that they were being rude, they couldn't understand me, and so because of that, I, I started to daydream. I didn't communicate, I daydreamed. And at 11 years old, one morning before school, four kids came up to me, and I thought they were going to knock me over. You see, these kids had been in a prayer meeting the night before. And God had spoken to one of them. And I don't mean they heard an audible voice. I mean they had a knowing inside themselves. They, they, you understand the difference. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and, and they knew that they were to, to, to have me at this Youth for Christ meeting on Monday night. And they're asking me to go and I'm telling them no because uh, along with me comes all my stuff and I'm too uncomfortable. I don't want to do this. I mean it just doesn't... I don't want to! But Monday night comes. And... They, with their parents, two sets of parents, show up on our porch. Sometimes it's good that everybody knows where you live. And they show up on our porch, and my great-grandma goes to the porch to see what's going on and and communicates, talks to them, and and they're asking if I can go to this meeting. And I feel real secure because my great-grandma's scared of everything, so I'm sure I'm not going, but she says yes. And they load me in their station wagon. They literally put me in the back end of their station wagon and take me two and a half blocks. 
And they pull me out and we go upstairs in this building and they, they carry me, they lift me up those stairs all, all the way up. And, and that night they had a film and it's a Billy Graham film and it, it's meant for teenage kids. And I can't tell you any details of any of that film. I'm not telling you I was taken away by the Spirit. I'm telling you some things aren't important and some are. But this I remember. They ask if anyone wouldn't accept the Lord in their heart. And I did. And they came over to me and it was time to pray. And you could tell that they had no clue that I knew what was going on. But you see, I knew what was happening and so did God. And He came into my life that night and I wish I had ways to explain this. I I need ways to explain it. But you see, when Jesus came into my life, it changed my value. I still couldn't read. I still couldn't communicate very well. I still couldn't... You know, all those things were true. But Jesus lived inside of here. And those kids took me home and I said to my great-grandma, I said, I'm saved. And she said, you're what? And I said, I'm saved. And she said, from what? And after that, I just started talking to him. It wasn't like I intentionally started talking to him. I just started talking. My great-grandma put me to bed and I'd start talking to God and it'd feel like God Almighty, my father, he was coming down and he was hugging me. And, and you know, at 11 years old, that felt amazing. And I'd go on to sleep and the next night would come along and I'd say, God, that felt pretty good last night. Would you do that again? And he'd do it again. And the next night he'd do it again. And finally, I realized something that I didn't even know. You see, he baptized me in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues and I didn't even know anything about it. So if you've been scared of this tongue thing, you have wrong information. He says he's love. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. That's the Holy Spirit. When he says, I, that's what he's talking about. I literally fell in love with the Holy Spirit and I didn't even know what it was. I just knew it was God. If there's something to glean from me, it is the love of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit teaches you all things. Brings all things to your remembrance whatsoever He's taught you. Jude verse 20 says, build up yourselves. It doesn't mean it comes on you and you have no charge. Now, there are times and manifestations when you're in the presence of God, that, 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 but, but you submit yourself to it. Does that make sense? Do you understand? But it says, build up yourself. So who's doing it? In most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it. But we can't get to a more holy faith than the faith we acquire by praying in the Spirit. Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit Himself makes intercession for us. For we know not how we should pray. It literally says that it does two things. It makes intercession for our infirmities. You wonder why there's so many sick people and Christians to pray in the Spirit. It makes intercession for our infirmities and for the saints.
You gave us all the tools. I don't want to say no because it's unfamiliar. Does that make sense? I had no idea about healing. I literally was so naive. God loved me anyway, but I was so naive that I thought God created me with CP. Just like my brother had blonde hair, I had blonde I mean, we look just alike, except I have CP and he's a guy and I'm a girl. I thought God made it that way. I, didn't, I wasn't mad about having CP, at least until the very end, because I thought that was just the way it was. Does that make sense? And so I had no idea there was an active devil. I had no idea that it was God's plan for me to be healed. In 3 John verse 2, he says, He desires above all things that we prosper and be in good health as our soul prospers. That means our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, is the governor in which all of these other things are processed. And He desires above all things. We can't get anything higher in His will than these things. Does that make sense to you? I didn't know any of this stuff. He loved me anyway. I didn't have any clue that it says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The prayer of faith shall save the sick and He, which is God, will raise them up. And even more importantly, this is where my thinking was twisted. You see, I thought God could heal if He wanted to, which is right. But what's wrong is I was putting it on Him. He's already said, I not only want to, I sent my Son and He was brutally beaten so you freely have healing on the earth. But I didn't know that. You see, I obviously knew that Jesus went to the cross and I knew that He bled and all of that and I knew there was a beating beforehand, but I didn't know that beating was applied to something on the earth. But it says the chastisement of our peace. That means the punishment by... The worst chastisement. You know, I thought it was some amazing spiritual word till a few years ago. Isn't this sad to say that I spoke on this for 20 years before I looked up the word? But the word chastisement... Look it up in the Webster's Dictionary. All it says. Punishment by whipping. The punishment by whipping for our peace was upon Him and by His stripes, by those markings on His body that destroyed Him to the point that Scripture says He was unrecognizable as a man, we are healed. And Peter says we were healed. Isn't it interesting? Old Testament says are. New Testament says were. We are, we were, and we always will be. The authority. You see, Christians don't know what they have. That's taking His grace in vain. As God's fellow workers, Scripture says, I urge you not... He's not talking to the world. He's talking to us. I urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. 
Holy Spirit, bring that reality to here. We don't have to get ourselves in a, in, a, in a right place to be acceptable to God, to be healed. Now, you have to get yourself in a place that you intentionally say, Christ, I, I ask you to come live in my heart. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. You, you know, just what I did at 11, you have to do that to have a relationship and to live for Christ. You have to. Does that make sense? There is no other way. There's not a whole bunch of paths. But when it comes to healing, you don't even have to be born again. Because Jesus did it all. Every single ounce of it. It's just so amazing. But I didn't know this stuff, so I lived sick thinking I was doing everything I was supposed to do. Because I had no idea He'd already provided and my body got better for a little while. And then at 15 years old, because of a brainstem injury from seizure activity, I, I lost more and more mobility. And CP is not progressive, but in my case, from that point on, it became rapidly progressive because of seizure activity. And so by the time I was 18 years old, I was a total quadriplegic. And the state of Missouri moved me from my great-grandparents' house to a foster home and then to my grandparents' house who I didn't know very well and, and, and although I'm related to them, they don't know me and I don't know them and, and, and they now have an 18-year-old in a hospital bed in their living room. And this really isn't fair to them. But I, I literally said to the Lord, and this was so good to me for me, because always before this, between 11 and 18, I mean, everybody knew I was a Christian. I didn't have anything else to live for. And, and, you know, you really can't sin too much when you don't get out anywhere. Most of your sinning happens in, you know, while you're doing something. It's true. <laughs> and so, I'm now in, 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 in their living room, and, and, and they don't like this Jesus thing. And, I mean, that's who I'm talking to all the time. And there's not, you know, and I, but for the first time, I started recognizing something. God, is this really your will? Always before that, I assumed that everything that happened in my life was ultimately God. And when I got in their living room, I thought, God? And I didn't even know Scriptures. And I didn't know where to find anything, but I knew that all things work for good. So I assumed it meant all things are good. That's not what it means. It literally says... Romans 8.28, and by the way, it's about the Holy Spirit, and I'll just put this here. <laughs> Do you know the more you pray in tongues, the more this is life to you? The more you pray in the Spirit, the more He can take all things to work together for good, that those that love the Lord and called according to His purpose, and the more you walk this thing out, he, the more stuff He can use, meaning He can use those things that did, wasn't in His plan at all. He can use those things that, that, the, that the enemy did. He can use those things that we did. He can make all things work together for the good. Oh my goodness gracious. So that's what, what, what's happening, except I'm in this living room and I'm thinking, God, can this be your will? And my body started to seizure and spasm and I don't remember most of the season of my life, but I definitely remember coming too. And I was in St. Luke's Hospital in Kansas City and I, I, I had been seizuring for days and when I came to, they don't realize I'm conscious and, and they're communicating about me, but I can't get a noise to come out of my mouth. I can't get anything to move anywhere. 
And it's like it takes all of my energy just to listen. And as I'm listening, I hear familiar voices and I hear doctors and they're telling them that they think I'm possibly brain dead and I can hear them. And I don't know how to tell you that, or the feeling, and I, this didn't last forever, I don't want you to think that's, that's not, I'm just talking about a moment, okay? But in this moment, I was hearing them say that they didn't know that, you know, I was conscious that I might not have brain activity, and I screamed, but I didn't scream out of me, I screamed internally, and I just yelled, God! And inside of me, like a heartbeat, and it was rhythmic, he says, I love you, and I'm going to take care of it. I love you, and I'm going to take care of it. I love you, and I'm going to take care of it. I love you, and I'm going to take care of it. Do you know if all of us had any idea how much he loved us, we wouldn't be sitting in the places we're sitting in. We wouldn't be stuck anymore. Faith only works through love. Galatians 5, 6. If you need a verse, there it is. They then take me to Mayo Clinic, Rochester, Minnesota, and they find out that I'm not brain dead. I, I have parchment in my eyes, parchment in my mouth. The noises that I'm making is not dyspastic noises. I'm trying to talk. But my literally, my, my arms are all bent. My knees are up into my belly. My head is over to the side, and I can't swallow my own saliva. But God says He loves me, and He's going to take care of it. And I'm there for several months and they're going to send me back to the Missouri to a total care nursing home. And I'm not proud of this part of my testimony because I got angry. I was assuming something on the Lord that wasn't anywhere near close to true. But, you know, <laughs> he didn't get upset with me. I was upset with him. And as best as I can make noise, I actually yelled at him. And what I was yelling or what was in my heart was God stop. And whether you could actually hear what I was saying or know what it was, but noise actually came out of my mouth. And, and when that noise came out of my mouth, God didn't go anywhere. He just came close to me. And you could feel his presence. I mean, it was just like, you could cut it. And my attitude changed immediately. I mean, I was like, okay, 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 I'm not mad anymore. And he gave me a vision. And I never had a vision. I didn't know anything about visions. I still don't have tons of visions. And, but in this vision, he showed a lady out riding a bike on this beautiful green grass. And I didn't even recognize myself at first. But then I realized it was me out riding a bike on this beautiful green grass. And then he shows me in a church, and I'm still in my wheelchair, and I have on rust-coated corduroy pants and a striped velour shirt, and there's people gathered around me praying for me. And there's one man in particular that's tall, blonde-headed, has on a gray pinstripe suit. And then at the end of this vision, it says March 29th in great big bold black letters. That's three weeks away. Now I want to tell you something. You don't need a date to be healed. The reason I had a date was for me. He's the same. Not only is the same, and, and, and I know this would play with some of our, our religion, <laughs> but I can tell you that God wanted to heal me years before I got healed. I can look back on my life, and you can look back on your life the very same way, and there's times when you know He was nudging you to, to do something, or to accept Him, or draw to Him, and you ignored it. We can all do it. 
But the 28th day of March got there. The day before he says he's going to heal me. And I got so scared because in this vision I had, you know, I saw all this stuff. And in my hometown they had built a new charismatic church. So I just knew I'd seen it. And and I hadn't, but I thought I had. And, And they were going to send me back there to the nursing home. And I'm thinking, anybody can handle the nursing home for three weeks. But the 28th day of March gets there and they haven't sent me anywhere. I'm still laying on three bride part of Mayo Clinic and my family's gone back home and there isn't anybody there left that knows anything about this vision. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know, I've goofed it up. I'm no longer mad at God, I'm mad at me. And I start repenting for everything I can think of because I, I, I can't see how this plan, and I knew this plan was definitely God. One of the things that happened, by the way, the shirt that I had on in the vision, to the detail came as a present in the mail. So I knew the vision was God. But we're here on the 28th and, and I, I don't, I, you know, I, I knew he wanted to heal me and I knew he could heal me, but I didn't think there was any way for him to get me to that church. And I was mad at myself and I was angry because I just knew it had to be me that goofed it up because God doesn't make mistakes. So I start repenting, and in the middle of my repenting, and what I start out, started out repenting about was probably valid, but by the time you, you know, I'd worked myself in this frenzy of repenting, you know, we were done with valid repenting. <laughs> and the father came to me just like an earthly father, and he goes, hush. And I got really quiet. And he said, in the morning, have the nurse get the yellow pages. I'll give you the name of the church and the person that's been praying for you. And every two hours they turn you over and I counted them down because, you see, I knew something in the morning. Nobody was going to turn me over again. Five, four, three, two, one. And when that nurse came in that morning to feed me, I wouldn't let her. And I'd always been passive. I didn't even know what my personality was. That's not a joke. But that morning I was going, uh, 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 yellow pages, yellow pages, yellow pages. And she went and got them. And when she came back and opened up the yellow pages, two lines glowed off the page. It said, open Bible, Scott Emerson, and a phone number. And it scared her so bad, she just, I mean, she dropped the book and left the room. And if I could have left, I would have been gone with her. About 12 to 12.30, she comes back in the room. She picks up the receiver. She dials the number. She gets the pastor's wife on the phone. Then she gets the pastor on the phone. Then she puts the receiver to my face, and he can't understand me, and he thinks it's a prank phone call. The nurse takes back the phone, and she says, Sir, I don't know who you are or where you're at, but you better get down here. She rattles off the room number and slams down the phone. And four hours later, this pastor shows up in my room. He has skipped lunch, went out looking in both of the two hospitals. He did not have the room number down right, so he went from room to room to room to see if anyone had called asking help at his church. He gets into my room, and that morning nurse is is no longer scared of the yellow pages. She's in my room. The evening nurse that we have is a Christian, and everybody knows that she's a Christian. I mean, that's just who who they are. Her husband works there also. He's in a wheelchair, and he's the the, um, recreational therapist. 
communicate. He realizes that, that my vision, I, they say words. I, I go on for yes. He realizes that that's the carpet, that's the woodwork, that's the doorknob on his church. But he doesn't appear to be asking us to go. And the nurse that's a Christian starts asking questions. And she just jumps right in. And you can hear, she's already got a pass from, from the hospital. She, you know, she's called the doctor. She's got somebody there to take her place. I mean, she's going to take me if nothing else. I mean, she has got this down. And so she starts asking this pastor questions. And do, do you believe in salvation? And he goes, why, of course. Do you believe in healing? And the room got cold still. And he responds by saying, we believe in healing, but we've never had any. And you plan on me starting on this one? They loaded me in the car and took me to the church. They pushed me down front. There are seven people there in this Sunday night church service, two missing from the normal congregation. They anoint me with oil and they start to pray over me. And the pastor literally says, Marlene, I don't know how to pray for you. And then he just starts praying and he says, God, I ask you to heal her from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. And he says, do you want to stand up on faith? And I didn't know what that meant. I just knew I wanted to stand. And they stood me up. And as they did, the contractures fell out of my body. My feet hit the floor. I felt the floor for the first time in my life. I took a few steps while they were holding on to me. They let go of me. And we started making laps around the church. I was pigeon-toed. I am so glad that this was 1981. There wasn't any cameras. Because it wasn't pretty. But as we're going around and around and around, it's getting better and better and better and better and better and better. And my eyes got really warm and God told me to take off the glasses and I threw them off and instantaneously my vision became above 20-20. That has nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do with Him. You see, He's so amazing. He's so good. 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 The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? He there's an authority in this room right now. So if you're lonely because you don't have parents, if you have a sickness in your body, whatever you need, you see, you were treasured. Before the foundations of the earth. Bow your heads just for a second.